Matthew 13, 44 to 46. It's a funny little passage, isn't it? Um, confess that I'm much, much more comfortable if I'm speaking about sections of the Bible which are difficult uh, or hard to understand, something that needs explaining or unpacking to get to the meat, because then that can be where I do the work of my sermon and it's much easier. Um, but this one, it's like, um, it's like a ready meal. It's, it's pre-packaged. It, it's just going to take a few minutes to heat up and we're there. I, I don't need to say a great deal because the meaning is plain for all to see. In each story, someone stumbles across something of immense value. In the first, it's hidden treasure. Uh, in the second, a pearl. So the hidden treasure, that the rest of the world is just going to see a field some dirt. It, it, it's useful for farming maybe, but it's not particularly wonderful. But this guy, he's, he's dug a little bit deeper and just like we find the Gospel, he's begun to uncover a treasure of surpassing value. Enough so that he's prepared to go and sell everything he has. Anything he once held to, he'll sell it, give it up, so that he can buy that field he's even prepared to engage in some dodgy dealing because he hides this treasure again and actually when he does that he's defrauding the previous owner. But for this thing he's prepared to cross even that social boundary. Nothing will hold him back. And Jesus is saying this is the way to approach the gospel. This is what being in the kingdom of heaven is like. You may appear to be the wretched owner of a overpriced patch of ground but if you buy this if you choose to take hold of this kingdom you'll be appreciating a remarkable richness you'll know the burden of your sin lifted it's paid for at the cross and you'll have membership of the body of Christ and his spirit at work in you it's a very great treasure and Jesus says let nothing hold you back from it second story, we've got a merchant. He, he discovers the finest pearl he's ever set sight on. And to take possession of that, to get hold of that, he, he doesn't just bid at auction. He goes away, he sells everything again. He musters everything that he can to ensure that his offer is the best, so that he can be the one that buys it. It's kind of weird, but actually he sold himself into poverty He's got nothing except this pearl. But he knows that although times will be hard for a while, he knows it represents a promise. When he finds the right buyer, he's going to have his fortune. And Jesus is saying, that is what his gospel is like. When we take hold of it, we will look like impoverished fools to much of the world but what a worthwhile inheritance we've got. We will have bought the keys to eternal life. Like this pearl, we've got the promise of a great deal still to come, haven't we? To, to be in his presence, to, to know Jesus intimately and to be totally accepted there. But also, like this pearl, it, it's not just the future reward. Um, to my untrained eyes, if I skip back to it, initially... That pearl of Laodicea looks pretty ugly. It's also called the Pearl of Anna. It's supposed to resemble a turbaned head, apparently. I, I can't quite see that. It just 
looks a bit misshapen, like chewing gum. But actually, if you let your imagination dwell on that and, and consider it a little, you begin to see that that is actually something quite incredible. That is produced by chance in, in a, a, a sea creature. It's the product of one of the most remarkable biological coincidences. It is a one in a billion or more chance to naturally produce something of you know, real value. It's truly unique and truly fascinating. And who knows, outside of that photo, it may actually look good as well. I doubt it. Um, but it's the same with what we've gained, isn't it? It looks drab to the world, or to us at times. You know, this, this Christian life we've bought into. You know, we, we miss out on lots of the fun. We're, we're bound by rules that don't apply to others. We waste so much time with, with church or meetings or service, all for something intangible and unreal. But if we look at our treasure and we appreciate it more and we start to seriously contemplate our new status, we see there is something of wonder here. It might start each time we do it as a, a dry academic appreciation of the gospel. But it can build and it can spread the more that we work at it. We develop reassurance, confidence in Christ, humility in ourselves, and then worship of God. We get joy and then love. And we see this, don't we? Even if we're not really aware of it in ourselves at times, we, we see it around us, in each other, in Christians, in God's people. It shows us that we're different. The way that as a church we're joyful, even in adversity. The way that people in churches truly love each other. That they let that show with hard work and commitment and service to each other. Or just very rare in the outside world, real concern and caring in conversation. You know, maybe at other times we don't see it. You know, sometimes we have those protracted periods of, of spiritual dryness where we feel very little. And promises of heaven seem really distant. And maybe at best in those times, all we can do is tick through the motions, uncertain of why we're even doing it. But Jesus is saying that even then, our great treasure is only just beneath the surface waiting to be uncovered for us again. And when we do scratch away that topsoil, when, when we get just a fleeting glimpse of what lies beneath, a, a glimpse of his glory, the grace he's shown to sinners like us, what a wonder we've bought. The treasure we've discovered is what shows Christians to be different. It's what makes church is attractive to the outside world and appreciation of this pearl that we've got can, can be just a grand encouragement to us on our journey. The kingdom of heaven is of great value so that a man could give up all that he had to take possession of it and he would still go away joyful at the bargain. So the big question I think isn't what does this passage mean? But rather, if it means that, why don't we always live like it? Why don't we always believe it? 
You know, I, I am really aware that many areas of my life, and probably most areas of my life, betray that I do not take on board these ideas. You know, maybe it's just me, but I doubt it. I, I think it's a, a common problem for most of us, all of us. So although it is really encouraging, this passage, it's glorious, and it's exciting to think about this treasure of the kingdom, I think there's a huge challenge for us as well. Something we need to guard against. I asked you earlier, what things do you value most in this world? I wonder what you put down on that list. Probably loads of really good things. Now, a few of my answers are in no particular order. I, I value my freedom to do what I like in my leisure time. That's really important to me. I, I value my wealth. You know, I like being paid money, it's nice. And I really enjoy having those funds available so I can use them. I value my relationship with my girlfriend. And her as well, of course. Uh, I, I value my flat, my property, shabby though it is. Uh, and I value the respect of my colleagues and students. They're, they're all good things. They really matter to me. What matters to you? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. As far as I could find, Jesus mentions treasure three times in Matthew's Gospel. And each time he's contrasting the, the massive value of treasure in heaven against, oh, well, of relationship with God through him. Something which is wonderful and, and stored up safely for us in his keeping. And he's contrasting that with stuff, with, with money and contentment and the things we tend to scrabble for here and now. Recently in a small group, some of the guys going on from WNT to university, we were looking at the first time Jesus talks about treasure. It's in Matthew 6, and he's talking about treasures in heaven. And one girl said, but Jesus doesn't ask us to give up everything, does he? He wouldn't ask us to be so poor that we couldn't eat. And then a slight note of panic into the voice, or shower. He knows we need those things. Well, we, we tend to think along those lines. We tend to ask that kind of question. He wouldn't ask to give up that, would he? No, he, he probably won't. But he could. How would he react? He doesn't often ask us to give good things up completely, in fact. But because of that, there's another risk we face. You know, perhaps, like me, you've wondered about the big risks. Would you be prepared to face outright persecution for the sake of the gospel? You know, the choice between being openly Christian or safe. Now, that's a big question, but in a sense it's easy, isn't it? Because A, for people in Britain, it's distant and speculative. And B, it is clearly important. We look at it, we know it matters, we can weigh the consequences. But I think taking a to take a much more subtle approach with us a lot of the time. I think he gives us smaller decisions, things which don't seem to matter so much, things which slip below our radar because we don't see them as luxuries but as necessities. So that we slowly begin to tangle ourselves up in things that we just value 
or depend on too heavily. I know, for example, I am fiercely jealous of my downtime. I often really resent people or things, including ways of serving church, which intrude too heavily on that. As a result, I'm, I'm often grudging in my service, rather than humble and joyful. I'm aware as well, I have certain aspirations, certain desires or ideas of what it would take for me to be content now or in the future. And when events transpire which challenge those aspirations, I find I can be left with very difficult questions which I want to ask God but don't necessarily get any satisfactory answer to. There's a danger, isn't there? I'm sure we all face it. We find things that we're not completely willing to release. And so we get less willing to be part of God's kingdom. We take a looser hold on it. So here's the challenge. Consider the things you value in this world. It might be things you put down on that list. It, it, it might not. But let your mind rove over it this morning and, and later on. And just ask, do any of these hold you back from committing to the kingdom of heaven. Even if they're good things, do you value any of them too highly? What things hold you back from trusting completely in God? And you say, yes, I trust God, but I can't help worrying about, or I can't help trying to get this because it's so important to me. Are there things or desires or ambitions which have subtly become for you prerequisites in your mind for your contentment or your security. I will do what God wants. I will follow his ways, but really he ought to make sure that I get that job or, or married or promoted or, or healthy or, or children, whatever. What factors are there which inappropriately limit your involvement in his people? I would serve in that way. I would join in with that. But the third time that Jesus talks about treasure in Matthew's Gospel is, is when he's speaking with the rich young man. And that guy goes around happy. He's got treasures of his own that he's not ready to release but he can't keep both. Thankfully, in his grace, Jesus doesn't normally ask us to actually physically sell all that we hold dear. But we need to be wary, don't we? Not, not to bank heavily on anything, no matter how good it is, anything except his grace. Not to cling to or depend on or expect to gain our, our ultimate satisfaction from anything Aside from Jesus, whether that's relationships or, or prosperity or health or whatever, we need to mentally sell and relinquish those other things because we cannot hold on to both. That's, that's a tall order, isn't it? Um, I, I can't claim to have managed it. It's not easy to do. 
I think the only way that we will do it, the only way that we will follow this example and sell and let go of the things we value on earth is if we're taking a firmer hold on the treasure that we gain. Now, I've found it very useful over the last year when, to be honest, I've been perplexed by the way that things come together to frustrate my desire. Um, I've found it very useful to just pray dependence on God. Not even to, to ask him to solve the problem or to meet my perceived need, but simply to say, your will be done. You have good things planned. It tends to start quite mechanically, just because I know it's a good idea. But then it grows, and, it, and like a treasure, I just begin to appreciate it. It becomes valuable to me. I think the more we pray in that way, the, the more we give up and depend on it, the more beautiful our treasure becomes to us. If we're going to let go of earthly treasures now, we need to fix our grasp on his kingdom now. So keep yourself involved in church or, or in house group. Surround yourself with this cloud of witnesses so that you can see the fruits of his kingdom. An excellent place to do that, by the way, would be the weekend away. I speak now, I know, from a position of strength. That's great. I couldn't remember if I'd paid or not. Um, but, yeah, if you haven't signed up yet, why not go for it? It will be valuable to you. It will encourage you. You will see the treasure. Or make sure that you're committed to some form of service within church. So, something regular and useful so that you're in a position to work with the Christians around you to bless them and be blessed by them in return. Take a firm grip on God's kingdom now because that's the only way you will value it. It doesn't always seem like much to look at. I mean, look around. We're a curious bunch of deeply flawed individuals. But like a buried treasure, there are riches and wonders that we will uncover. We just need to scrape away the surface. We'll see his grace at work in people around us. The kingdom of heaven is of such great value that a man could relinquish everything else and still go away feeling rich. If that's not enough, then there's a, another side to this story. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had, and he bought it. And in fact, the kingdom of heaven is exactly like that, isn't it? Because a man did find a treasure which he considered utterly valuable and he did sell everything he had to give it to get it Philippians says of Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Everything has been sold to buy us back safely into his possession. 
But don't forget, don't ever forget that he goes away happy, ecstatic with his deal. If we're Christians, then we are to Jesus a great treasure. He'll take immeasurable pleasure from us. He'll see to it that nothing will take us from his hand. If we find it difficult now to rejoice in him, okay, he will give us good reason. He'll equip us for that purpose and he'll be infinitely patient with us as we learn. If there is doubt in our mind now about the value of his kingdom, you'll be overcome by the sheer abundance of his provision for us. If there are things now which hold us back, he'll wean us off them. Maybe not gently, but always with that set purpose of making his treasure, us, his people, clean and perfect to be presented before him. Now, I think that's pretty good.